Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is Hi, and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm your co-host, Jeannie Rice, along with Dr. Tim Hayes, and we welcome you to the show. Today is Tuesday, December 29th, 2015, and our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. Welcome, Michael. Thank you, dear heart. And welcome, everyone, to our hour of Mind Shifters Radio as we gather to understand, engage in the original First century Aramaic process of forgiveness. Quite a monumental task when you recognize what it is that we are asking each individual to do in engaging in this forgiveness process, in this healing process. In fact, if you look at and if you do the math, and I'm just... Uh, opening my phone to look at the numbers, I keep a, a note in here. In 30 generations of your bloodline and my bloodline, we have 1 billion, 73 million, 741,824 people. Now, when you recognize that stored within your structure, within your genes. And, and, you know, you listen to medicine, and there's a big focus on genetically predisposition to disease. What does that mean? The diseases of your ancestors, the frequencies involved are carried in your genes. It's just part of the system. It's part of the process. It's part of how it works. Now, that's not a curse or a blessing. It's just what is. If you find yourself in circumstances where you are responding to something in a way that you don't recognize, that you say to yourself, what am I doing? I don't talk like this. I don't think like this. This doesn't even sound like me. Probably, if you take a look, if you step back, and one of the key tools in this work is to step back from your own mind to become the thinker apart from the thought, the feeler apart from the feelings, the actor apart from the actions. And as you observe what's happening in your mind, you'll perhaps start to recognize patterns. I was talking to someone a little while ago and they were telling me about how they're facing an issue in their lives around money and, you know, just having challenges with money. And they're in a relatively new relationship and this person's mind is telling her that the money issue belongs to her partner. So she's recognizing her mind generating pictures out of a money issue of the person she's in relationship with. But she's recognizing at the same time that the money issue is hers. Been here, done that with more than one partner, but the mind always generates pictures. When we live in denial, when there's a part of us that we don't want to own, 
when there's a part of us that we want to say, you did this to me. This is your fault. I'm feeling this. This is your fault. I'm experiencing this. You made me mad. You made me sad. You made me angry. You made me fearful. You frightened me. You really have a problem. The question I ask the person who's saying those things is, if they're the one with the problem, why are you the one with the pain? Obviously, if they were the one with the problem, they'd be the one with the pain. If you're the one with the problem, maybe you have pain and you don't know it because you live in denial and you want to talk about somebody else when those things come up. It's probably a generational habit. And so you can bet that, let's say, for instance, if money is an issue in your life, it's something that if you look back, you probably saw mom and or dad struggle with money. If you looked into your genetic history, you might find grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents. And recognizing that if there are certain ways that our ancestors have handled things that are unlike how we handle things, if we come into the right circumstance, then those energetic patterns, literally those thoughts, feelings, and behaviors will come to the surface. How many have ever observed a child who, let's say, his father passed away before he was even born? And you look at him 30 years later and you go, oh my God, he's just like his dad. He walks like his dad. He, does, he flies off the handle just like his dad did. Well, how could he be doing that? Unless it was in his genes. Yeah, I mean, look at him. Just even the way he holds his mouth is just like his dad. It's all coded in us. And depending what's resonant, depending what's activated out of our genes, be really careful you don't buy the medical model that's coming online that's telling you we know how to fix your genes because your genes are the problem and you don't have any control over it. Because genes can't turn themselves on, genes can't turn themselves off, and genes are forgivable. But it takes the willingness to do one's work. The work that we're inviting people into, and as we are stepping into a new year, you know, there's a, a whole new energy moving and people getting ready to unfold a, another trip around the sun. Are you going to live by the patterns of the past? the behaviors of the past, or are you going to select new behaviors instead of thinking that, well, this is just natural. This is what I have to do. That's what genetic thoughts and feelings feel like when they come up. And so one of the strongest pieces of input we have for people is never do what you feel like doing, ever. In your highest mind, in your highest state, Select how it is that you're going to live, the kinds of behaviors that are acceptable or unacceptable to you. And then, no matter what happens, no matter what feelings, no matter what thoughts, no matter what inclinations are activated out of your genes by circumstances in your life, do the behavior you chose to do. That means that you're going to get to look at every anomaly in your genetic history. Not an easy task when you recognize and do the math, you know. We have a person who had two parents, who had four parents, who had eight. Just do the math. You've got over a billion people in 30 generations. We're inviting each person to go in and clean up the mess. Clean up the pain, the turmoil, the trauma, the blame, the fear, the hatred, the grief, the rage. And if any of that is in you, recognize that the process of how we create the world that we see happens as a result of the energies that are moving in us. And one of the first lessons to learn from this work is that if an energy is moving in you, that energy belongs to you and you have choice over it. And it may have so much emotion attached to it that it comes up with such fury and fire that it seems you have no choice whatsoever. You just have to follow it. 
That energy, when it moves in you, will point you in the direction of your 77 times 70 worksheet issue. That will point you in the direction of the next big piece of work that you have to do, although your mind will tell you that the work that needs to be done is the work that someone else has to do. Remember that reality is a picture generated in the mind from what's moving inside the individual. If one lives in denial, and remember our definition of denial is, when I think or speak as though something outside of me is the cause of something inside of me, I'm in denial. The only cause you will ever feel is the causes that are inside of you. The only one you will ever experience is what's inside of you. And if you deny that, how do you deny that? Well, Charlie made me mad. Bill really upset me. Harry, he really, oh man, he just enrages me. By utilizing that projection language, you're living in denial, and your mind will have to hide from you the source and the root of what's moving in you. And you can't change what's moving in you until you can get to the source and the root of it. So as long as you're in disturbance and your mind is prompting you to have a conversation about someone else, then you're living in generational blame. Now, here's what generational blame will get you. It will get you conflict in your relationships. It will bring you to trauma and turmoil in your relationships, and it will create diseases in your body. And ultimately, it will be the cause of your death. When you choose to step into a space of responsibility, instead of, no matter how overwhelming the generational urge is to say, yeah, and my spouse, they're just, you know, I wouldn't be feeling as if it weren't. It's like, wait a minute, that which is moving in you has got nothing to do with your spouse. Yes, your spouse may have triggered it, but it's moving in you because it's in you. But we've been taught to live in this hallucination. That is, we paint pictures on the inside of our eyeballs with what's moving in us, And the pictures can only follow the permissions that we give them to follow. And if the permission looks like Charlie made me mad, then my mind has to create a picture of Charlie being the cause of my mad. And by doing that, the root of what I need to change in me to be free of being mad is now hidden from me And I am dissociated from it. It is no longer mine to change. The genius, absolute genius piece of information that was given to us 2,000 years ago was how to forgive. That is, how to access and remove the root of what's moving in you. How do you access and remove the root of what's moving in you? First century Aramaic forgiveness describes precisely how to do that. What happens when you engage in first century Aramaic forgiveness, which has nothing to do with letting somebody else off the hook because something's moving in you, is you step into ownership And you collapse the picture painted on the inside of your eyeballs, the reality generated by your mind. I repeat at this point the CIA research that we came across a couple of years ago, although we've been teaching this for decades. It's a pretty nice authority uh, to... uh, to tap in. Actually, I just yesterday I went looking and I ordered the book, found a copy of the book on uh, Amazon that the CIA published about perception. They had one for $20. Most of the rest of them on Amazon were $2,000, $2,500. I'm not sure why somebody thinks they're worth that, but anyway. But, but what it says in the research they did on perception, trying to get accurate data into their analyst perception, they say the mind does not record reality, it generates it. So if you live a denial conversation, Harry made me mad, your mind will create pictures of Harry and it'll show you everything you need to see that will prove to you that Harry made you mad. And your mind is a liar. If you're mad, there's only one reason you're mad, and that's because there's mad in you. 
What we're inviting people to do is to go into the root of their pain, their trauma, their turmoil, their rage, their guilt, their fear, which maybe goes back to 10, 20, 50 generations and has impacted all the generations from the day that it was that energy was first initiated and put into this human energy system and passed from generation to generation through either the egg or the sperm. The whole of our history is encoded in that egg and that sperm. When the geneticists first started looking at the genes and told us that 90% or 95% was junk DNA, they didn't have a clue what they were talking about. Your whole history's there. The inclination to every behavior that's ever been done in your bloodline is in you. Will you follow it, or will you have the discipline to go in and clean it up? This genius, Yeshua, 2,000 years ago, showed exactly how to collapse the world that the brain generates, precisely how to collapse that, and how to drop into and access the next deeper hidden level of the mind. And when you drop into that deeper hidden level of the mind, and this is the part I think that creates the most resistance in people, it's there's just such terror and trauma of what might be in there. I don't want to look, I don't want to deal with it. Look at it and deal with it. And when you drop into it with the active presence of love, and people who don't want to drop into it are going to say, oh, I just don't, I don't do those worksheets. I don't like them. Jeannie was talking to someone this morning and sharing. We had a friend that uh, used to live in South Florida, and she'd done the work for, I don't even know, for sure, 10, 15 years. She'd been to several intensives. But in all those 10 or 15 years, she would never do the wake-up sheet. She just wouldn't do it. She loved all the other tools. She loved mind sh- shifters. She loved to the point breathing, but she would not pick up the reality management worksheet, the wake-up sheet. And we were actually staying at her home and did a workshop. And she did her first worksheet in all those years. And about, I don't know, three or four weeks later, called me and said, Michael, I just want you to know that this worksheet has become my best friend. I can tell it anything, everything I've been hiding from myself. I put it down and it's changed my life. Each tool has a place. The conversation I was having with someone earlier this morning as well, which tool is most important? Well, that's like saying, is the left front tire or the right front tire the most important tire on my car? Or is the right rear or the left rear? Well, you know, the left rear tire is the left rear tire that does a job. It can't do the job of the right rear tire. You could move it over there and it would do it, but then you wouldn't have a left rear tire. Each, each tool has its place. And if you try to run down the road on three tires, it's going to be a challenge. You might get somewhere, but it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be difficult. Bumping into things hard to steer, it's going to be crazy time. And that's how most people live their lives, bumpy, crazy time. Ray, you know, that, that song that... that um, the melody line comes to mind, rage to the left of me, rage to the light, right. Here I am stuck in the middle with you and everybody believing that they're stuck with somebody who's the problem in their lives when they have no concept that the person they look at in the mirror is where the problem is. I was reading a review with this. Uh, we talked yesterday about the movie Concussion, and Will Smith just does an awesome job. In fact, two interviews I was reading, one was by Dr. Omalu, and he said that he started watching Will Smith play in the film, and he said he lost it. He was totally – it was not Will Smith on the screen. It was him that Will played his part so powerfully. But I was also reading, in, as a result of that, a, a little article on Will Smith and his wife. They've been married for 20 years, and he talked about how it's been one of the most terrifying and traumatic things of his life. But he said the way that we're making it work – and here they are in Hollywood. They've been together for 20 years. He said, the way that we're making it work is we don't work on our marriage. I work on me. She works on her. We come back together, and we're each better at our marriage when we do. Awesome piece of advice. So as each of us does our work, 
And then when we get brave enough to actually accept support for doing our work, going inside, dropping into those hidden parts of the mind, and bringing love to them, which brings healing, awesome things occur. And we're here to create a community of understanding and support for those awesome things. That's what this radio show is about. If you're new to the show, if you haven't touched the forgiveness process yet, please go to the website. There's all kinds of material there free. You're welcome to access it. The website is www.whyagain.org. And in the middle of the page, you might have to scroll down a little bit, depending on the size of your screen, you'll see a red and white bullseye. If you click on that bullseye, it'll open a whole series of links. Spend time on those links. It will change your life for eternity. And it will change your bloodline for eternity. I love what Jonas Salk, the inventor of the Salk vaccine, said. He said one of the most important things in life is to be a good ancestor. Cleaning up your genes, cleaning up your thought system, cleaning up your hostility, your rage, your guilt, your grief, your fear is one of the most important things you can do for the future generations. People think, oh, I'm going to go out there and make lots of money to leave to my kids. Tell you what, leave them penniless and heal, and you've given them a much better gift than if you gave them $10 million in the bank. Do your work. Be willing, have the courage to go inside yourself and clean up your own hostility or fear-based mind. Stand with a mind connected to love 24-7, 365. And you say, well, Michael, have you done that? No, unfortunately, I haven't. I'm still in process, just like everybody else I know. And people say, well, Michael, you've been doing this work almost 50 years and you're not finished yet? Well, I suspect I'll probably be doing another 50, 100, 200, and I might be getting past the surface of it. Well, what do you mean? Well, start thinking once again. Here's the task. Stored in me is every thought, every feeling, every behavior, every reality of every generation in my bloodline. Now you go to the scriptures, the genetic language of Aramaic, and you hear them saying, the sins of the fathers will be passed the A into three and four generations. That was genetics they were talking about. That wasn't theology. And the word sin, if you've been brought up with this, the Greek culture's definition of sin, has, sin has nothing to do with you being some terrible, evil, awful, defective creature. The word sin in Aramaic is an archery term, and all it means is off the mark. When you fired at a bullseye, and you miss the bullseye, the scorekeeper would yell, sin, you're off the mark. That's all it means. And every energy that's off the mark from your life and the life of your ancestors is in you. Now, the beauty of that is every energy that's on the mark is in you as well. And it's there to support you, to nurture you, to uplift you, to carry you through. And sometimes the hostility and fear-based stuff takes over a little faster because, and the reason for that is because there tends to be a lot more energy behind it. There tends to be, you know, when somebody's in their rage, you know, they're in their rage. When somebody's in love, it tends to be a gentle, sweet, smooth, loving space that doesn't carry the same energetic amplitude of the fear and hostility-based mind. So we're here to support you. Our work is that of engaging in every tool that we've got to bring forward the healed state. And we're honored that you're here to join us. And Jeannie, is Dr. Tim with us? No, he's not with us today. Um, and oh, okay. Don't know what's going on there. Um, well, then the we'll leave him a hello. Go ahead, yeah. sweetie. I was just going to say, you know, I had um, a session last night with a gentleman in Australia, and it's just pretty exciting because he is a psychologist, and he is so into the wake-up sheets that, you know, of course we have to calculate our time um, because he's 16 hours ahead of me, but um, he's 
when he gets off work, he works night shift. And when he gets home, he spends an hour or two just doing wake-up sheets. And then he goes to bed. And so then we do our sessions when he gets up before he goes to work again. And he has seen such a change. It's just miraculous. So I can see him taking this like Dr. Tim and, and Michelle do and take it to their clients. And I can see him doing the same thing on the other side of the world. So it's pretty exciting. But one of the things that we talked about last night, and because he's a psychologist, he has a lot of the brain cells and like it just makes sense um, how it works. And, and so it's really easy to do a session with him. But uh, one of the things we talked about last night, his um, ancestry, even though he was born and raised in Australia, his ancestry is from China. And so they have a lot of the same, we've talked on here before about the Yanta law in Sweden and Finland and, and in those areas where, um, you know, he said that he has held himself back so as to not move forward past his parents or past his brother or whatever. And so it's that unspoken ruling that you're, you don't make yourself better than somebody else. But also based on their genetics and culture is that the, especially the sons take care of the family and fix all the problems. And then because he's a psychologist, that adds another level to it that he's supposed to fix everybody. And so we were discussing last night, could he do worksheets for them because they're not interested and, you know, so I gave him some examples of how he could do a worksheet in their presence and that they could get it, you know, but you can't force another person to do their work and you can't do it for them. And I use the example with him that you use oftentimes, and that is if you want to be the champion weightlifter in the Olympics, you can't send someone else to the gym to do your workouts for you because you're not going to be prepared or ready to do it when competition time comes. And so he said, well, then, you know, what do I do? Do I just cancel the goal to fix it for them and just let them be in their mess? And I said, you know, sometimes you have to do that. And so maybe you want to, nobody has a hand up, so maybe you can address some of that. Michael, well, sweetie, I think I think you've just done a great job of addressing it. Oh. <laughs> you know, you okay. just said it all, I mean. What else is there to say? Uh, we cannot force somebody else to do our work, but, you know, we can model it. And as we model it, it tends to open a space. And that's uh, one of the, the biggest gifts we can give to somebody is just modeling that I don't have to live in the old way. I can bring forward a different mind and a different way of functioning. And that will threaten people because as we talked about in yesterday's show, you know, we each came up in a culture. And if we came up in a culture of victimhood or fear or, you know, terror, submission, don't be better then, and we start to step out of that culture, then everyone who's still hanging out with this cult, that, with that old culture, will tend to feel threatened because, oh my God, Am I wrong? Oh no, it must be them. They're not they're not living the way we're supposed to and you know, that whole game goes on and people try to grab each other and, and, and bring each other back. They've seen that oftentimes in in uh, prisoner of war camps that you know, you're supposed to act a certain way and, and you know, in Korea they actually set it up so that it was it was actually pretty unique, you know, in any conflict that America's ever been in, if there were prisoners taken, it didn't matter. They needed 10 men to guard two because if there wasn't enough guarding, if there weren't enough guards around, those two men would find a way to support each other and escape. In Korea, they had camps where they had one guard for every 2,000 prisoners and nobody tried to escape. And what they found was, and that's where the term brainwashing took place, and here's the thing. You can tell carbon-based memory, the body's mind, anything, and it will believe what it's told if its stress is reduced while it's being told it. It's called brainwashing. So you can tell people, you can convince people the most ridiculous, insane, inane, 
bizarre things. And if it's stored in the mind with belief, the mind will act as though it's true. And so recognizing that, what happened in in the the, uh, Korean prison of war camps is the inmates guarded each other. They didn't need guards to do it. If somebody stepped out of line, somebody was there to squeal. Somebody was there to put them down, pull them back, stop them. It's like, no, you know, just keep the status quo. Don't get us in trouble. Don't speak up. Don't step up. Don't be noticed. And, of course, that's the message of the non-being world forever. And so the willingness to step up and be heard is one that can really rattle brain cells in people observing to just to just step up and speak up. So, oh, no, we don't do that. You might get in trouble. It's like, okay, we'll just get in trouble. Who cares? Better to express as a true human being and quote-unquote get in trouble than to lose your humanness to fear. I love the example of that in the movie that we talked about yesterday, Concussion. Absolutely awesome demonstration of so many principles, and in particular a man who had the integrity to step up, to stand up. In fact, the research, when when the uh, department he worked for wouldn't pay for the research, he paid for it out of his own pocket. He stood up, and he did it. He did what it took. So many people talk about doing it, but they won't do what it takes. They won't put their money where their mouth is. Oh, they've got lots of mouth. They've got lots of talk. And they can tell everybody else how they should be doing it while they're sitting on their butts doing little or nothing. And so step up, speak up, make it available. And you may be challenged, and that's cool. If you're challenged and what comes up is fear, then you'll have the the opportunity to heal the next layer of fear. And how cool is that? Powerful. To rid your family system of fear. Awesome gift you can give the world. Is that kind of the direction you're thinking of, Jeannie? Yeah, for sure. And um, another topic came up uh, last night talking with him, and I believe it also came up when you were talking to someone this morning, um, was about what tool to use when. And there's actually a link on the website, so if anybody goes to whyagain.org and clicks on the bullseye, it takes you to worksheets to print. Scroll down just a little bit, and there's actually two things. One um, is hints for people who say they have nothing to do a wake-up sheet on. And the other one is, um, uh, my mind just went totally blank (laughs) where I was going with that. Oh, what, what tool to use when? And so there's some, you know, ideas of, you know, when would the responsibility communication maybe be the tool to use or when would the commitment be a tool to use and when would the wake-up sheet or the mind shifters or the breathing. And every tool has a purpose and it's like having a toolbox. Sometimes we need a screwdriver. Sometimes we need a flathead or a Phillips. Sometimes we need a hammer. Sometimes you need a sledgehammer instead of just a small uh, ball peen hammer. Sometimes you need needle nose pliers and sometimes you need big grip plier. So it's one is not better than the other, but they have different purposes and they work better maybe in certain areas. And when one tool doesn't work, try another one. So, um, you know, that's the best I could offer on that was, you know, just use the tool. Of course, in his case, he liked the wake-up sheet. And he actually is using the 11-step that we use in teachers. So when we did our session, I took him to the 7-step and he's like, well, can I use the 11-step? It's like, yeah, if you want to, but it'll definitely take you to a different level. So, you know, different people have different tools that they prefer to use in different situations. It would be interesting to know how he was introduced to the work. And, uh, you know, maybe he's come across a copy of the uh, the four-hour, the original four-hour Y video, which is where I do that worksheet. I don't know, but... Would be interested to ask uh, next, your next session with him. Yeah, I'll ask him that. I know that uh, he said that he got the book a long time ago, 
and he read it, and for a long time he did worksheets, and then he quit, and life was going along pretty good, you know, and of course he didn't quote-unquote need to do worksheets. And so years went by, and he said then he found himself in a situation. It's like he asked himself, why is this happening to me again? And then it was like a light bulb went off, and he goes, I've got a book that's titled that. (laughs) And he said he pulled the book back down and read it again and started doing wake-up sheets again. So this is his second go-round. So uh, we do have a hand up. Awesome. Let's say hello. All right. I think it might be Miss Julie in Theodosia. 417, you're on the air. Yeah, hi there. I do have a question. Hey there, young lady. You sound like you're out walking. I was actually in the house walking because it's so cold outside. We now have uh, a, a little bit of snow and, um, you know, so it, it's warming up a little bit, but we had snow after the rain, so. Yeah, I didn't. Space. Thank you, thank you. So my question is, uh, we've talked about at different times about bipolar. Now, I don't know if you want to discuss bipolar, but as my um, understanding is, is that it is uh, having opposite goals. So when um, I did my worksheet, I was noticing that, you know, I have, I'm just using right now the 11-step one from your book, and um, I noticed that when I get to my goal, which is in, on this particular worksheet, number six, you know, I write down my goal. And then if I get to, I, I did add, how have I violated number six um, to ten? And when I go over how I violated number six, it is, um, I've always violated it. So since I'm violating my goals, isn't that kind of like bipolar? Well, again, bipolar, I think we could could give it many names. Self-sabotage might be it, but violating your own goals uh, says that, you know, remember that all behavior is based in goals. So if I set a goal to go in a certain direction, and then I find myself going in the opposite direction, then I must have a goal somewhere in me to go in that opposite direction. And... So what I want to do is go in and uproot the, the core of that, free myself of it, and then I'll have a clearer mind to determine where I really want to go. You know, maybe the original goal is the more appropriate one, and perhaps the, the new goal is the one that's off base. But as I allow myself to go in wherever I find myself, and, and basically, you know, the basic bottom line is that perception guides behavior, and all perception is a construct based on a directive from a goal. And so if someone at one moment is excited and high as a kite and at the next moment is in the pits of depression, then each of those states are perceptions output from content. And so when I engage in the forgiveness process where I have that conflicting content that at one point is guiding me to be in this high, wonderful, you know, I'm so powerful, I could do anything state, and then the next minute it's this lower than a snake's belly state, each of those is a result of goals operative in the mind. And when I begin to collapse the perceptions based on either of those goals, I'm going to tend to move the generational patterns and carbon-based memory out of the way and be able to step into choice where out of being I consciously, purposely originate my goals and then I follow through and achieve them. And if I'm not able to achieve my goals, then I'm going to start looking at, so what's the next part of my mind that I need to forgive that I'm not creating this result that I say I want to create? And sometimes it might be, as Jeannie was saying uh, earlier, she was sharing with this gentleman last night, the Yanta Law, and I don't know, uh, Julie, if you were on the, the call way back when, when Peter Strino originally introduced us to that, and and he actually thought, we did some research after that first show where he talked about it and found out that it wasn't really a law, but he believed that in Scandinavia there was a law, an actual law, that was called the Yanta Law, that basically, and you can you know, Google it, Y-A-N-T-A, if I remember correctly. Uh, it's and J-A-N-T-E. It says, say it again, sweetie. 
It's J-A-N-T-E, and I have it pulled up. Why don't you go ahead you and want just me read, just read it, it for us? And this is what Peter actually thought was a written law in Scandinavia where he comes from. Go ahead. You are not to think that you are anything special. You are not to think you are as good as we are. And I'm not really sure who the we is there. Uh, you're not to think you are smarter than we are. You're not to convince yourself that you are better than we are. You are not to think that you know more than we do. You're not to think you are more important than we are. You're not to think you are good at anything. You're not to laugh at us. You're not to think anyone cares about you. And you're not to think that you can teach us anything. Pretty bizarre mindset. So Pete came from a culture where he actually thought that was a law, and then we started to do some research after that conversation and found that, I believe it was something like 1936, somebody had written a book that became very popular and it became talked about as a Yanta law that kids were brought up believing was the way it had to be. And so if I'm here, like, I actually just wrote a letter to uh, Dr. Almalu, who is the, uh, the gentleman who is the real person behind the movie Concussion and acknowledged him for being willing to do his purpose to rise and speak. And it was it's interesting, they, they gave his original African name, he's from Nigeria, if I remember correctly, they gave his African name, which I could never pronounce in a million years. And the meaning of it is, if you have knowledge, then you step forward and speak up. Which was, it's just, I mean, this guy has spoken up to one of the most powerful, money-making fraudulent machines on the planet when it comes to the way that it treats its players. This movie is such a, a powerful demonstration of that. One of the websites I was doing some research on, somebody came up with, uh, was making comments and, they, and I, I thought it was like, oh, this sums up so much of what's going on in the world of hostility and fear. And that is where it comes to money, truth is the enemy. And one of the appeals that Dr. Amalu makes is You've got to tell the truth. Well, if the powers that be in that particular sport tell the truth, then they're going to shut the sport down. And right now, it's about a $9 billion a year industry. And the, the leader of it, I was listening to an interview, the head of the, uh, that particular organization, which will remain unnamed, everybody knows what it is, said that they're anticipating by, I believe it was uh, 2023 or something like that, that it'll be a $25 billion a year industry. It's going to collapse. If this piece of information is made known and this movie concussion is just putting it out there. I mean, who would allow their kid to engage in this particular uh, sport if they knew that the repeated head trauma that is a part of the sport and it's kind of like the Coliseum. It's the thing everybody cheers for that ultimately leads to such brain damage that people's lives are destroyed and many of the players commit suicide. It's kept quiet. Jeannie was doing some research and what did you come up with? 30 names of, of players, most of them under the age of 25 that were millionaires yeah. making mega bucks playing football and They've killed themselves, and it's just been kept quiet. Nobody talks about it. Yeah, there were every from Bizarre. 21 was the youngest, and there were um, like three that were over the age of, of 50. Um, most of them were in their late 20s, early 30s, but they and they were all linemen and safety and and um, you know defensive backs and whatever. They were the ones that got plastered all the time, and. I went through and looked at some of the, you know, like they, their death certificates would say that they died of, you know, over drug overdose or, you know, one of them drank antifreeze and um, two of them hung themselves and all the rest of them shot themselves. And it was that, and they're a couple of years before they took their lives, 
it was like their whole lives shifted and they went, you know, they became a different person. They attacked their wives, their mothers. They started stealing or setting fire to things. They became, you know, pornography nuts, uh, just all Drug kinds addicts. of things. Almost, yeah, almost every one of them lost their business. They were, you know, taking drugs for, and almost every one of them either for tension headaches or for stress or um, anxiety or paranoia. They all had memory problems. They, I mean, it was just, it, when you look at the things that they had in common, and and most of them lived with those symptoms, quote, unquote, for a couple of years before they killed themselves. And it was from the head trauma and stuff. I mean, it's exactly what was presented in that movie. I sat through the movie and cried most of the time because... <sighs> Breathe. We're breathing with you, sweetheart. My son, we counted it up. I talked to him last night. He had probably 15 concussions during high school and college. And they put him right back in the game. And I didn't know or he would not have been playing. And I breathe with you. Fortunately, there is a way to resolve this. It's called all of the above. We've seen people with these kind of traumas step out of them, but it takes somebody willing to do their work to do that. And, sweetie, we hold the space for your fear and your grief to be resolved and forgiven so that you are that space that can inspire Ryan, hold the space for Ryan, and we'll walk him through this. And also for being the mom sitting in the stands rooting him on. Yep. And you didn't know any better, sweetie. And now moms know better. Right. I think that uh, one of the the most important pieces of the puzzle is to recognize that Every time we engage in something based in hostility and fear, we create a result that ultimately is going to do us damage, and we can reverse that process. We can step back and change the game. And so certainly conflicting goals are a challenge in the process. It's interesting, the one gentleman who helped to make the breakthrough for Dr. Amalu was a football player who was seeing, had seen several of his friends die by their own hand with these symptoms and there weren't enough brains studied for you know for them to to make a medical pronouncement and this one guy recognized himself going down the tubes he wrote a letter to Dr. Amalu saying I want you to study my brain when I'm gone and where most of the men who committed suicide shot themselves in the head he shot himself in the chest so his brain would be preserved and could be studied and that was kind of like one of the breakthroughs in really verifying that this was what was going on. So certainly Julie has gone in a whole different direction than you started with, but but it's it's a it's a it's kind of the big example of what you're talking about. You know, here's a, a nine billion dollar a year industry that's being totally threatened and being shut down. And so, what direction does it want to go? It wants to protect itself. It wants to protect the old way, and that's just a natural human our non-human attribute. And and so for me, it's the ongoing doing of the work that allows us to clean up all those conflicting goals, conflicted parts of our minds, so that when from being we're conscious and aware of our purpose and we select to do something that we can follow through and do and supports that purpose and actually brings it into expression. I understand what you're Is saying that- now. Yeah, you're you're saying that I may hold a goal in number six, but I also hold other goals that are conflicting, and then those goals need to come up to you know to the light and to be healed too. And and by holding the goal in number six, I become aware of the other conflicting goals, and then as I bring my true essence into this whole picture, I can look at well, what is it that I really want to create here? Right. Exactly. You know, if I could give an example from something you've shared from me with your brother, would that be okay? 
Sure. So Julie is, is quite athletic, has always been very athletic. And an early piece of work that she did was that she uh, was always told that she couldn't outdo her brother, couldn't make her brother look bad because he was a man. And so Julie would be out there with her skills, uh, much more athletically capable than her brother, and could outshine him and outdo him. But because this goal was implanted, it became a conflict, and you'd sabotage yourself in that. And even to the point, if I remember correctly, that you, you know, you would have to protect your brother even when you knew he was off base, because that was your job. That was the they were the goals that were given to you by your power persons and your authorities. Does that fit? Uh, yeah, that fits. Um, actually, it's like living in the uh, shadows and, and also making, what, which I have done, uh, making a man win versus myself win and, of course, you know, staying behind. Um, you know, all of that has had a different, different journey in my own life. The phone went out there for a minute, Julie. I I lost that last statement. Say it again, if you would. I said that because of those goals, you know, that that I have found that I was always supporting a man being successful, but not myself, more living in the shadows. I even noticed that even with you. Um, Like, I want to create my own shadow upon the earth rather than living in your shadow. And so, you know, you are too have fallen in that category. So I noticed that how I've projected that out into the world, that initial, um, you know, training. And then also that, you know, for some reason or other being a female, that you're not good enough. I know Jeannie and I have processed some of this out, like you're less than because you're not a male. I mean, that's another part of the whole picture. I hear you loud and clear. And you have my support, Julie, in shining at 10 billion degrees on the planet with bringing forward, you know, the unique way that you've brought this work forward to people. If that's where your purpose is, you absolutely have my support. You always have had in taking it out. And I would be, for one, absolutely delighted if you outshone me like nobody's business because the whole idea is let's put this into people's hands. So anything you're ready to do and willing to do, I'm willing to support you in that. Thank you. You've always been supportive. You know, you you just happen to be a male. <laughs> you've always you've, you've that, always been there for me. That brought up a thought for me. Um, something that was put out on Facebook yesterday, and I actually had to test it because it was like mm, I don't know if this is true or not. So I went and got some matches and checked it out. But if you strike a match, you hold it up, you know, where there's a light shining on your hand and the match. You can see your hand's shadow, and you can see the matchstick shadow, but the light does not have a shadow. The The flame itself does not have a shadow. So when any of us are being that light that we are, there's no shadow that we cast that for somebody else to stand in their shadow. Cool. Great point, Jeannie. That's awesome. It is. It's a great point. Wonderful. Yes, well, I, I like the idea of shining our light much better anyway. Right, exactly. <laughs> so you have our support in any project you choose to undertake to take this out farther and farther afield, 2,000% in any way, shape, or form that we can possibly do it and outshine every male you've ever known or ever will know. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate your support 100%. You know, it's interesting. If you, if you read um, Survival of the Fittest, what, or the, the, the work that's been coined, the term has been coined, Survival of the Fittest, it's always the strongest one, the tough one that wins. That was not what he had in mind when he wrote about the, uh, the whole theory of evolution it wasn't about survival of the fittest. Actually, it was about love and cooperation. It was a survival of the most cooperative. It was those who read his work and coined this term survival of the fittest. It doesn't work, but it's created 
a great competitive world, and I think that for every uh, minute of competitive sports, we should have cooperative sports. For every minute where kids go on the field to compete against each other, hitting a baseball or knocking a puck around or kicking a football or beating each other's heads in, I think those same kids should be required to create a project of cooperation in the community with the opposing school and go out into the community and bring you know, support and caring and love into the community for every minute that they do in competition. The, the world is, has given too many accolades to this model of competitive sports and how great it is for kids. That's a bunch of bunk. Teaching kids that they've got to be better than and they have to beat somebody else in order to win is insane because the truth is it's where cells and animals and people cooperate with each other that you have the highest forms of life expressing. And so you certainly have my cooperation and support and and go for it. Step out of the game and, and uh, or the shadow game and into the light. Thank you. Thank you. I like it. Yes, and, and I agree with you on the competitiveness. I, I agree 100%. Um, you know, I, I created a different environment in my classroom, so they were more cooperating and working together and helping each other. And uh, a lot of that energy dissipated, and it was it was just a, a, a different environment. It's much more nurturing, and it's much easier on the children. The stress is reduced 100%. You know, and they're happier. You know, and so is so is I actually. So, uh, you know, I like the whole idea. Uh, we do need to get rid of it. It's time. I'm in agreement. Awesome. Well, we're down to about three minutes. Any other thoughts, Julie? Anything else we can do to support you? No, I'm I'm feeling quite complete. I appreciate it. I I, I realize that that's not really what we initially talked about, and um, the bipolar is not the same as this, and I appreciate the explanation. Cool. Cool. Delighted. All right. Glad to be on the team. Glad to have you on ours. Thank you. All right. Love and blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. Michael, unless you've got something else, uh, someone in the chat room said they thought that their son had the same thing. and we're down to like two minutes, but quickly maybe uh, explain the energy work and how it's just energy locked into the brain and how it can be moved back out. Yeah, one of the things they're saying, and of course the medical profession is totally oriented toward physical, so saying, well, there's this physical concussion that takes place. The brain hits the inside of the, uh, the skull and is injured, and that it's a result of injury, but... I don't think, you know, they're saying there's a buildup of this protein called tau. I don't think that it's a result of that simple, you know, concussion that takes place and the injury that happens there. I think there is ongoing injury. That's why there's an ongoing buildup of this protein called tau. The tau is the brain trying to protect itself where there's injury. And the injury is ongoing because the brain has no way to process out that concussed injury or that concussed energy. So it's moving around in tissue, breathing. Uh, energy field work, forgiveness, they're all part of the process. You'll notice everybody in trauma. You can bet that every one of those guys who shot themselves were holding their breath when they did it. You can bet that every time they were injured, they held their breath and locked that energy in. So it's the process of opening those energy pathways. And that's exactly, you know, we. I, I haven't talked to, uh, to Michael, who was at Heartland well, the last two summers, specifically about his concussed uh, experiences, but many of the similar symptoms, including he shared with us on the show, uh, his attempted suicide. And, you know, he comes in a wheelchair and six weeks later, he's jogging up the hill. Do your work. That's the key. And we're down the last few seconds. It'd be awesome to open the show tomorrow with this conversation. If somebody wants to continue it in the meantime, if you're ready to do your work, February, intensives in um, in Orlando. You want to get away from winter, come and play. In the meantime, create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. 
Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com. Evolving continuously.